1 Timothy chapter 6, 11-16. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. This is God's word. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. That was a nice good morning. It's good to, good to see you all again. Before I say anything, I just want to say thank you um, to this church family who um, cares about the uh, health and wholeness of, of your brothers and sisters and of your leaders. Thank you for uh, giving Hannah and I a, a time of sabbatical and, and uh, rest and connecting with God, and uh, it was awesome. And uh, I know I've said that to some of you, but I just wanted to say that here and, and say thank you. And uh, also how good it is to be back, to be um, here uh, speaking on a uh, hot July weekend. We've got people, we've got double duty on the ACs here. We're making sure that they're on at every moment of the uh, sermon. So, so no one has to, you know, nod off uh, and take a nap because it's too hot. Um, but uh, yeah, it's hot. Um, <laughs> But besides heat in the air, I think there's something else that's happened since the last time I preached, and it's, uh, there's something else in the air, and I think it's, it's called love. Love is in the air. Um, because since the last time I preached, two couples decided to get engaged. Nick and Christy this week. And Willane and Chris. Uh, oh, and Dakota, yes. Dakota wasted no time. As soon as he got home to Texas, he proposed. So three. My goodness. Love is in the air. Something is going on. And uh, had me thinking, uh, last year I had the, I had the great privilege of um, officiating my first wedding ever. First time I had um, done a wedding. I had been in ministry a long time, but... I was, I was not married for most of that, so I figured people didn't want me to marry them until I was married. I don't know. But anyways, I got asked, and then I did four in four months. And so I got used to it real quick, and it was, it was, a, it was a huge blessing. But as I was thinking about that, there's part of a wedding ceremony that, that um, pastors do when they're officiating a wedding that's called the charge, which sounds like charge, like I... I, I don't know, it, so it's not like I'm charging them an amount for doing the wedding. It's not like I'm charging them full of energy for this, for this journey. They're not. No, it's, this, it's, this, um, it's that definition of charge that is 
meaning to entrust someone with a task as a duty or responsibility. And so at every one of those weddings, I would say something like this. Before God and the people gathered here today, I'm going to ask you to affirm your willingness to enter this covenant of marriage and to share all these joy. Now, the engaged couples, don't say yes yet, because that's later. <laughs> you don't want you to get accidentally married today. Yeah. And to share all the joys and sorrows of this new relationship, whatever the future may hold. And then they begin to say, yes, we're, that we're here to get married. That's, we want to enter that covenant. And um, it's a charge because it's this serious commitment. It's a serious commitment. I'm, I want to go in with both eyes open, say, knowing what I'm saying yes to. And then on the other hand, it's, this, it's one of the most joyous things that we have in human culture to witness, is people making this serious commitment to each other. And I bring up the charge because uh, the passage that we read today and that I'm speaking from today is called that. It's a charge. It's a, it's a final charge in this letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And Timothy's not just, um, just a random minister, a random person that Paul is writing to. No, at the beginning of this letter, he says, I'm writing this to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So this is a close relationship that they had. And, and actually, when you, when you study it, you find out that Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ during Paul's first missionary journey. And it was most likely Paul that led Timothy to faith in Jesus Christ. And he, his mother and his grandmother were Jewish, and they had taught him the scriptures, but his father was Greek. So he came from a mixed family. He knew some of the truth, but, but then Paul brought him this, this message of the gospel, and then he grew in the faith, and then, and then he begins to minister, and then he begins to prove himself trustworthy to where Paul can say, he's my fellow laborer in the gospel. He's my faithful brother. And Paul will send Timothy to other churches and say, hey, you know, I can't go there, but you go and represent me. The, the Apostle Paul, go represent me to that church. Or this church is dealing with false teachings and it's ripping them apart. You go and, and take care of the false teachings, which is what Timothy was charged to do in Ephesus where we read this letter today. And Paul's telling Timothy, I want you to guard what has been entrusted to you. I want to remind you of how important it is what you're doing and this journey that you're on and what you're task or what your responsibility is. So I charge you. And as I read this today, as we read it together, and as I talk for a few minutes on it, my heart, what, what the Holy Spirit put on my heart for this church, for us who are gathered here today, is to hear it as a charge to you. So where he says, but you, O man of God, I want you to hear that for you. But you, O woman of God, hear this as a charge because you have been entrusted with a message of hope. We have been entrusted with a message of joy and peace and unrelenting hope that nothing can shatter or shake. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what it means to hold this uh, treasure in jars of clay, like Corinthians says. So is that all right? We can hear that as a charge to us today? All right, good. I'm going to try to do that in about four points, maybe five. We'll see. See, if the air conditioning stays on, maybe six. I don't know. Um, 
But here we go. So the first thing he says, I just want to break it down with some of the things, some of the directions that the commands that Paul is giving to Timothy. He says, uh, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this. First point, flee. Everyone say flee. Flee. It's a fun word. (laughs) Flee. Um, Sorry, uh, but it is. It's a fun word. But flee. Everyone knows what to flee means. It means to run away, right? It means to to run away from a place or a situation of danger. And the Greek word that's here, it's translated to flee. It can also mean to escape or to elude or to run away. And uh, when I hear that, I think, run away, run away, run away. Uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, anyone? Yeah, so they're, they're knights, they're supposed to be brave, and they've got this rabbit that attacks people, and they go to fight it you know, five or ten of them, and it's just, I won't go into the details, but in the middle of battle, in the middle of the heat of battle, instead of saying retreat or some nice command, they're just, run away, run away. That's what I think of when I think of flee. We think of something that's kind of uh, cowardly, but um, there are instances when running away is the best and only option if you want to survive. When I first moved here, uh, 2007, in July 2007, it's been 11 years, and um, October of that year, so just I'd just been in California a few months, Arkansas boy, fresh to San Diego, and we had our first big fire, and uh, it happened to be the biggest fire I've experienced in the whole 11 years I've lived here, the San Diego, uh, the Witch Creek Fire, I don't know if anyone remembers that one, massive, half a million people were evacuated from their homes, and Uh, I was in Poway at the time, and I got evacuated with uh, my sister and her family, and we left. Here's the thing. When they tell you to evacuate, you don't don't go rent a U-Haul and pack up all your belongings and make sure that you you don't have time, right? You have to run away. (laughs) You have to flee for your life, and uh, I did that, and I remember we were in South Bay. We were staying with some extended family there, and, and I just remember like ash falling from the sky and covering my car, and I was like, what is California, and why did I move here? Like, what, what have I gotten myself into? And um, there's sometimes you have to flee, and it's the same thing when it comes to following Jesus. There's sometimes that we're called to flee things in order to follow Jesus into the life that he's called us to. And so Paul says, flee from all this. All this. Okay, what's the all this? Well, you go back, you get the context, you read the verses right before, and the, one of the things he's talking about is the love of money. He says, he says don't, don't waste your life on just seeking financial gain. He says, it's the famous verse where he says, because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many have searched for it, gone off in search of money, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. And so he says, Run away from that. Not run away from money. We have to use money. But run away from the love of money. And the other thing he says is run away from false teaching. Run away from false teaching and false teachers. Run away from those who are claiming to preach the Christian message but are not preaching the gospel of grace. Those who are not preaching the apostles' message. Jesus. Mm. Mm. He says, 
The best thing to do, Timothy, is run away. And it's not cowardly because there are things that pose more spiritual danger to your life than you're aware of. And we need to be told, run away. You know, there's only four times in the New Testament where Christians are told to run away. And it's never from persecution. It's never from hard times. It's never from serving, going the extra mile. We're not told to run away from those things. We're told to run away from the love of money, run away from false teaching, run away from sexual sin, 1 Corinthians 6, run away from idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, run away from the evil desires of youth. I'm sorry, young people. (laughs) Some of those desires are evil. But run away. Run away. Let me ask it this way. Another way of putting it. Since you've become a Christian, what have you run away from in order to follow Jesus? What have you fled from so that you can pursue Jesus? Maybe what do you need to flee from today? John Stott, one of my favorite authors and um, just kind of a, a statesman of the global church, um, many of you have heard of him, but he, he wrote a book after he retired. I think he was 86 when he wrote it. It's the last book he wrote before he died. And, and it, was a, it was called The Radical Disciple, and it was about some more neglected issues of the Christian faith. And this is someone who'd been in ministry for six decades and knows people all over the world and was giving us kind of his farewell address to the church. And he brought out the, the, the first chapter, the first thing he starts with is nonconformity. That the church still needs a sense of nonconformity. And he points out that a major theme of the whole Bible is that God is calling a people for himself and summoning us to be different. That the way the church is to engage the world, like Vince was talking about a few weeks ago, is by being unlike the world so that we can show a better way, so that we can show this message that we've been called to. And you find it in the law, in the prophets, in the teachings of Jesus, in the teachings of the apostles, all the way through the whole book, every main category of Scripture. God is longing for his people to be different. And John Stott has this quote. I think I have it up there. It says this, We are not to be like reeds shaken by the wind, bowing down before gusts of public opinion, but as immovable as rocks in a mountain stream. We are not to be like fish floating with the stream, but to swim against the stream, even against the cultural mainstream. And he quotes a a popular journalist in the UK, Malcolm Muggeridge, and says, only dead fish swim with the current. Leave a little oof time for that one. (laughs) Only dead fish swim with the current. Romans 12 says it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Do not conform, but be transformed. My question before we move to the next point is, are you running away from the things that are keeping you from following Jesus? Are there things in your life that you know the Lord has called you to? I've got to make a clean split with that. And I need to take the, it's not cowardly. I need to take the attitude of this is too dangerous for me. I need to run away so that I can follow Jesus. Amen?
Second point, pursue. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue means to follow someone or something in order to catch or attack them. It's at least the most popular definition. <laughs> and what I love about this is, is Paul is giving us, hey, it's, becoming Christian is not all about what you don't do anymore. It's about what, where you're going. It's not about what you run away from only. It's about who you're pursuing and what you're pursuing. And that you're being transformed more into the image of Christ. And so he gives us these virtues. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. Anyone been watching the World Cup? One. I'll add to that one. I've been watching it too. And and I will admit, I'm not a a huge soccer fan or football fan, um, whatever you want to call it. But I've been trying to get into it and I've been loving it. But one of the things I noticed is if, if they're in the middle of a play and, and all you soccer fans, I'm going to use the wrong words, so just forgive me. But, <laughs> hey, I said that earlier, football. When you're watching this sport, anyways, if, if the player has a ball and he's making a break for it and there's no defenders around, the other defenders, they're not just going to haphazardly, like run towards them. No, they are in full pursuit. I mean, it's like someone like pressed the nitrous button and they're running up there and they're going to try everything to get to the ball before he can have a shot at the goal. And even even if they have to foul, they're going to foul. And then some players, even if they don't get fouled, like Neymar, um, you you can fake the foul pretty good, right? But when you're watching them, it's like, they're pursuing. They're not, they're not leaving any like ounce of energy out of that. They're putting everything into it. And when I read this charge, when I read it for me, when I read it here today, when it comes to your spiritual life, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing like that? What are you running after in a way to catch it or to tackle it or to foul it, I guess? <laughs> What are you pursuing in that way? Because I've got to confess, we don't always seem to treat our spiritual lives as if we're pursuing something. I'm guilty of this. Sometimes it's more like spiritual cruise control than all-out pursuit. I'm just, I'm just trying to make it to work on time. I'm just trying to be in a good mood. I'm just trying to be a good person. Get through the week. That's not pursuing. <laughs> what is that pursuing? First Timothy, two chapters earlier, it says, train yourself to be godly. It's a pursuit. I think sometimes we, we, um, we receive the gospel of grace, and somehow it gets wrongly translated into the absence of effort in our lives. We've received grace so that we can make every effort. That's why the New Testament says nine times, make every effort. Pursue. Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, in a different letter, says, Not that I have already obtained this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So this passage, 
this is what we see. We got to run from some things so we can run to some things. We got to run from unrighteousness. We've got to run from sin so that we can pursue righteousness and pursue right living and pursue standing up for what's right. We've got to flee, run away from ungodliness, and we've got to pursue godliness. We've got to pursue living life in, in a manner of which we are fully devoted to God. That's what godliness is. We, we've got, it says we've got to pursue faith. We've got to run away from doubt, run away from fear. You've got to doubt your doubts and pursue faith. It's a pursuit. To give my doubts to God, that's a step of faith. To give my fears to God, that's pursuing faith. We've got to flee hate. We've got to flee indifference. And we've got to pursue love. Amen? All right, making sure you all are with me. We've got to flee impatience. We've got to flee that desire to give up. And we've got to pursue, what does it say? Endurance. Running the race in a way such as to finish it. We've got to flee harshness. We've got to flee being fake. We've got to run away from gossip Mm. and pursue gentleness. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to believe y'all are still with me by faith and uh, move on to the next point. (laughs) No, I, I know you're with me. I know you're with me. Next point. So we've got, we've got to flee some things. We've got to pursue some things. And then the next point, verse 12, it says this. Fight the good fight of the faith. Everyone say fight. fight. <laughs> so I can tell some of y'all watch MMA because you said it like, fight. <laughs> fight the good fight of the faith. And this is the phrase um, that this week just rang, just rang me like a bell when I read this. Fight the good fight, because what an interesting metaphor to use, right? When we think of our faith, we don't, a lot of times we think of a journey, or we'll think of we're walking with God, or we'll think of our relationship with Jesus, but sometimes the, the metaphor that we think of last is a fight. And yet Paul uses this metaphor with Timothy in his charge, fight the good fight of the faith, and it's a phrase taken from the field of athletics, it's like saying contend in the games. Basically, he's saying, the, the, the background of this is saying, use, exert every ounce of energy to win. Don't leave anything on the field. Or wait, leave everything on the field in such a way as to win. And why is this such a poignant metaphor? It's because our faith is a fight. Our faith is a fight. It's a battle. It's a war. It is a struggle. It's a wrestling match. It's a contest. It's something we have to contend for. It's a fight. Ephesians 12, uh, 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul says... Fight the good fight of the faith. I have a friend who, uh, actually I have a few friends who 
um, fought in MMA and trained in MMA. And, um, and uh, this particular friend did boxing as well. And I remember just talking to him about what, what is that experience like? Because I went to one of his fights and he was in the cage and it was crazy. <laughs> and I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> uh, he won. <laughs> and, um, but I was talking to him like, what's that experience like when you're in a fight? And, and, and he was, you know, he was being real honest with me. And he was saying, you know, I train and I'm, I'm ready and, and I'm, I'm ready for the fight. But I get there and I'm, and I'm, you know, you walk into the ring. There's all the buildup and you've got the nerves and everything. And he says, even after the bell rings, sometimes it takes me to get hit once or twice before something happens. And I'm like, I'm in a fight. <laughs> and I realize it's, it's like it's like he had to get like slapped on the face a few times before it's like, boom, I need to fight back. <laughs> This has got to happen. I had a, uh, many of you know, I went, uh, I led a missions trip to India uh, many years ago, um, or several years ago. And uh, some of you have heard some of the stories from that trip, but one thing that happened um, in that trip is we encountered some, some spiritual warfare, um, some, some dark forces, like with our team. And I know like here, here in the Western culture, sometimes we're kind of like, ah, I don't really know if that exists. And it's like, well, the majority world is like, yeah, it exists. <laughs> we deal with it, and um, and a lot of times, if you travel somewhere and you're, you know, you'll 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 deal with it too. But we had something where um, there was actually a, a member of our team who had, I guess, had kind of like opened his life to like dark forces before he had ever been on the team. And I don't know the whole backstory. All I know is that there was a night um, where he started manifesting. Um, some kind of evil presence or voice because he was talking in a voice that wasn't his. His eyes were closed. He was taking swipes at um, uh, the other uh, mission trip leader and myself. And we were praying, and it was we were kind of like, okay, I, just, I, just, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Let me, call, let me call the missions organization. So I call the missions organization back in Georgia, like 10 hours difference from where I were. I don't know what time of day it was. And I'm talking to the guy who had kind of sent us out, and I'm telling him what's going on. And he's like, well, um, let me try to look into that, and uh, I'll call you back in the morning, see if we can get you some help. And uh, I'm like, so after we hung up, I'm like, morning? Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And it's, it's at that moment where we're like, this is a fight. This is a spiritual fight. And all, all my hope has to be in Jesus right now, because I can't do anything about it, but it's a fight. And here's the reason why I tell that story. And, and, well, it had a good ending. I'll just say that. Like, like, I'm not Catholic, but we did an exorcism of some sorts, and he, he was restored. He came back too, right? But here's the reason why I tell that story, because if I tell a story like that, or if you're in a situation like that, it's easy to realize that you're in a fight. And that your only hope is to rely on Jesus. But sometimes in our everyday lives, when we're going to our job or when we're hanging out with our family or whatever else, it's harder to realize this is a fight. And I think it takes us more than one or two slaps before we realize like, oh no, the faith I'm called to is a fight. And if I expected to walk this Christian life without some bumps or bruises, and without some battle scars, and without some, some deserts and some dry times and some low times, I was sorely mistaken because this is a fight. And sometimes that we, don't, we don't realize that the things that we're, that, we're, that we're facing, the things that when you feel like too depressed to get out of bed, 
or when you're halfway through the week and you're experiencing debilitating fear or the sense of hopelessness or when you're... Y'all hear me? That's a fight. That's where you have to fight the good fight of the faith. Faith is a fight. Staying in the faith is a fight. Keeping the faith when you don't feel like it is a fight. And we would do better if we realized and recognized I've been called to a fight, not a stroll in the park. Not that I, I know none of us would say that we're called to a stroll in the park, but I don't know about you, but I get, I, I'm still not expecting it every time I get like hit. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I'm in a fight. <laughs> fight the good fight of the faith, when you're facing doubts, when you're facing battles, when you're facing fears, when you're facing depression, when you're facing disease, when you're facing death and suffering and hard times and persecution and being mocked for your faith. It's a fight. Having faith is a fight. It's a fight against sin. It's a fight against Satan. It's a fight against doubt. It's a fight against unbelief. It's a fight against even our own desires. Fight the good fight. But it's a good fight. It's a hope-filled fight. It's a joy-filled fight. It's a fight for love. It's a fight for forgiveness. It's a fight for righteousness. It's a fight for justice. It's a fight for everything that's good in this world. It's that kind of fight that we're called to. It's the good fight of the faith. Amen? Amen. May I remind you to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not calling you to save yourself. I'm just calling you to remember it's a fight. And you've got to use all the energy that God has given you toward that fight. Let's go. (laughs) Fight the good fight of the faith. May we not forget that we are in a fight. So flee. We've got to flee some things. We've got to pursue some things. We've got to fight the good fight. Next thing Paul says, next thing in our charge is this. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The fourth thing we've got to do is take hold. Take hold of the eternal life. In the passage, he's reminding you, you were called to eternal life when you made your good confession. In the presence of many witnesses. He's most likely referring to his baptism. When Timothy came to faith. And he went public with his faith. And got baptized and said. I believe in Jesus. He's my savior. And what he's reminding him of is. You were called to eternal life at that point. But now at this point. What you've got to do. Your task is to take hold of that. Don't just wait for it. Don't just wait for it when you die. Don't just hold your insurance card for death. And get through life on your own terms. Take hold of that hope that you have and pull it right here. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and let it be the hope that anchors your soul. Don't think, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die and then try to get through Monday through Saturday without that hope. Does that make sense? Jesus said in John 5, 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. But then the verse we said earlier, Philippians 3, Paul says. <laughs> Let me look at what Paul says. I don't want to misquote it. He says, not that I have already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We have been given an eternal, unrelenting, unshakable hope. And we are called to take hold of it. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes either I refuse to take hold of it or I don't know how to connect the dots. I may say, well, yeah, I know I have hope, but this thing's really bad. And there's a disconnect there. Does that make sense? Uh, Dr. Uh, James Smith has a sermon where he, uh, I think he calls it the... the uh, the upward anchor, and he's talking about, so an anchor, uh, a yeah, normal anchor, at least for a ship, is made of steel, right? Really heavy metal, really huge ropes, and you cast it down when the waters are choppy or when you need to stay in one place. It's the anchor for the ship. It holds you even if the water's kind of going crazy. You have some stability. But when we're talking about our upward anchor, our heavenly anchor, it's, it's this hope that we have in Jesus, the hope of eternal life for which he took hold of us, that we, that we were called to when we confessed him. And instead of going downward like an anchor of steel, this anchor goes upward to heaven. And it settles our soul because we remember the hope to which we were called. That, that God the Redeemer, who takes hopeless, dark situations and makes light break through, has given us hope, has said, I'm calling you to life if you believe in me. And when we have that anchor, when we have our hope, when we have a perspective that has eternity in view, when we have an eternal perspective, all of a sudden, I'm not just living for this moment. I'm not just living for this week. I'm not just living for this season or this month or this year. I'm not just living for my career I'm not just living for my achievements. I'm not, I'm not just living for my family or, or for my fame or, or even my legacy. I'm living for something far greater and far beyond that to which God has called me. And it anchors me. It anchors me against the waves of hopelessness and meaninglessness and, and feeling like you're just a cog in the machine of the universe. Our society that wants to make you feel like you're disposable. You're not. And you have hope over and against that. That will not fade and will not perish. It won't tarnish. It's reserved for you in heaven. And what we're told to do is take hold. This is mine. This is what I need on Monday. This is what I need on Thursday. The other days too what I need every day. So we flee, we pursue, we fight, and we take hold. 
I said I might make a fifth point, so here it is. We confess. There's a, there's a confession in, the, in that verse that I read. Just read the, a few of the verses in that passage. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So it's a remembering of where we put my faith. That's, that's what it means by confession. I'm confessing Jesus is Lord and he's my Savior and he's my hope. And so we're reminded of the confession we make. But he goes on and he says this, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Here's the thing. You made your good confession when you were baptized. You made your good confession when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and when you went public with that faith. But your confession is good because somebody else made a good confession. Your confession is good because Jesus made a good confession for you. That when he appeared before Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect who had the power to put him to death, and he had every option to change his answers or to say, no, I'm not who they say I am. No, 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 no. He held on to the truth, even when it, even when it meant his death. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And maybe you haven't fled all the things that you need to. Maybe you haven't pursued him like you should. Maybe you haven't, maybe you forgot that you were in a fight. Maybe, maybe you haven't taken hold of that hope and connected those dots, but he did that on your behalf. He ran away. He, Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in every way, such as we are, but without sin. He ran away from sin for your sake. He pursued God for you. John 5 says he only did what the Father told him to do. And John 12 says he only said what the Father told him to say. That everything he did in his life was in full pursuit of godliness and of righteousness and of love and of showing us faith and gentleness. That he fought the good fight for you. That he went to the cross and let sin do its worst. It let Satan do its worst. Let all of his enemies do their worst. Let you and I and our sins do our worst. And he took it and he fought and he took hold of hope for you because he didn't stay in the grave. He, he rose again and he did it for the joy set before him. He endured that cross and he scorned the shame because he knew that on the other side, he was going to be able to give you hope for the situation that you're in today. To give you hope for your life. And that's why Revelation 12 says, when it's talking about the saints that overcame our spiritual enemy, it says they overcame him by what? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We have a good confession because of his good confession. Because he died for us and rose again for us and lives forever in unapproachable light for us that one day we will approach and see. Our confession is good because of his good confession. And so I remind you and I charge you 
What is it that you need to flee today? Are there things in your life that you know the Holy Spirit has brought to mind? Or you've read it in the Word and you're like, I need to make a break with that. You can do that today. Do it today. For your health, for your soul, for the souls of the people that you speak life into, Run away from what God is calling you to run away. What is it that you need to pursue? What is it that the Holy Spirit is inviting you to say, I need more of this in my life. I need to treat my family more lovingly. What is it? I want to end with a quote. Um, end with a quote from uh, an illustration of William, William Temple, who was a, uh, a bishop um, in the UK. But he talks about this, and, and I thought it was appropriate when, when we're saying we have this charge, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to remind you of, like, this is, this is what it means. You know, sometimes in the season, this is where the season we're, we're in. This is what it means to follow Jesus right now. There are things I've got to let go of. There's things I've got to pursue with all my heart, and there's ways I need to remember this is a fight. This is a good fight of the faith. And so I wanted um, to share this quote today. It says, It's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. like how blunt he is. <laughs> and it's, not good, it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. May I remind you today that when you place your faith and your hope in Jesus, when you turn from sin and you receive the grace that he has offered you, that the spirit of Jesus comes to live inside of you. And you do have the power and the ability to walk in faith and to take even if it's just the next step. Even if what you need right now is, God, just unfreeze me so I can take that step. I don't know what's after that step, but I can take this step in Jesus' name, by your power, by your spirit in me. And if you're here today and you're seeking the Lord and you don't know that the spirit of, you don't know whether or not the spirit of the Lord is living inside you, did you know that you can come to Jesus today? If faith is rising in you and if you're ready to turn away from life without God and turn away from sinning against God and turn towards Jesus and to receive him into your life, that you can have that assurance. You can begin that walk of faith today. Maybe that's your next step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this charge that we have received from your word. God, there are a million ways I've fallen short of this charge. And I want to be the first to admit that, God. And I know for many of us here, many of us here are in a battle. Many of us here are depleted. Our energy already feels depleted. Our faith already feels low. God, I pray that we would hear this message today as a message of hope. I pray that we would hear this message today and be reminded that the powerful God 
who created everything there is and created us and, and knit us together in the womb, that, that you, God, have come to live inside of us. That the Holy Spirit is alive and well. The same power that lifted Jesus up from death out of the grave lives in us by faith. And I pray that you would awaken us, Lord. God, I pray that there is any unction, any, any desire to fight back against our spiritual enemy and against the things that are dragging us down. If there's people that are listening to me right now, I pray that that would be encouraged. That would be fanned into flame. Maybe you're here today and you need to find someone who's sitting next to you and say, pray for me because I don't even want to fight. I'm tired. I can't, I, can't, I can't fight right now. Will you fight for me? Do that. Lord, we pray you would use this time, bless this time, these next few minutes as we're responding to your word, that, that you would shift things, that you would move things. God, we're not going through the motions here. We know that you work here in this time, in these few minutes that we give to you. So we just pray that you would meet us, Holy Spirit. Pray that you would break chains. Pray that you would encourage faith, Lord, that you would remind people of the gift you put in them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We come to you. We ask all these things in your name. You are our only hope and you are more than enough. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.